Come on, can we cheer for our kids to go into kids' workshop? Come on, you're going to have to cheer better than that next time. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. So great. I, I tell um, Vanessa all the time, she is definitely Flo's doppelganger, is she not? Remember there was a young adult, was it, I think it was Jocelyn that when newer to the church saw it on, uh, on our social media page and was like, I didn't know City Life had a business relationship with Progressive Insurance. <laughs> Flo's the spokesperson for Progressive and also apparently for City Life Church. During, during the, the promo for that, Joey Moriarty leaned over to Jennifer Muro and said, uh, that lady on the screen looks a lot like Pastor Vanessa. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. I don't know about you, but I had sayings that I grew up with that were in our home that we used often. And, and so I'm going to walk around in just a minute. We like participation here at City Life. And, and uh, so I'm going to share some of the ones that, that I grew up with. Maybe there were similar ones that you grew up with. But if you think of a saying that I don't share, that as we walk around, you can, I'm going to point to you and we'll, we'll share it with the church. One of them that, that my parents often used was, was this phrase, by the skin of your teeth. Right? If, I had a curfew when I was growing up, and so if I would come in right, right at the moment when my dad would say, you, you made it home by the skin of your teeth, right? just in the, in the nick of time. Another saying, my dad's, one of my dad's favorite was, was, was it's close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades. Right? It, it doesn't have to be perfect sometimes, it just has to be close. I remember another saying was, birds of a feather flock together. People, people drift towards sameness. We, we don't like diversity. I remember when I was in middle school, I heard a friend of mine use this phrase for the first time, that you can't see the forest for the trees. About 10 years later, I finally figured that one out. I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know what that means. But you know, when people use something like that, you just go, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. But you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Six of one, half dozen of another. When Vanessa and I were newly married, I used that phrase, and one day she said, I, I don't even know what you're saying when you say that. Six of I said, well, it means, it means that whatever we choose, it doesn't matter the outcome because it's six of this and half dozen of another is still six. And so Vanessa, oh, okay, that's good. So it was a couple of weeks later, we were having to make a decision, and, and she said this, you know, it's just six of one, 12 of another. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's how the saying goes, right? That means one decision is better. Then the other, she hasn't used it since. She's done with that. Six of one, 12 of another. I was like, okay, okay, so I guess we're saying we're going to do this because that's better. Twice as good. How about let the cat out of the bag? I remember one time I was in, in the kitchen, my mom was on the phone, and, and she said something about let the cat out of the bag. I was like, what cat? What bag? I'm thinking like somebody has put a cat in a bag, and then that became a joke mocking me for basically the rest of my childhood. What cat? What bag? Six of one, half dozen of another. All right, how about you? How about some sayings? Come on, Hannah's hand is up. There's baby Cleo, come on. Hold your, hold your horses, which means pay, be patient, right? Hold your horses. Somebody over here, Jamal? Knee high to a June bug, which means you're not very tall. Yeah, you're little. Knee high to a June bug. All right, Brentley? Now, your mother's in the room, so be careful. Just be I'm just trying, just trying, trying up, trying up, trying up. All right, emphasis on the A. So, so Christina, 
You give a child a rope and they want to be a cowboy? All right. I've never heard that one before. Okay. All right. You have less brains than a chicken. Now, no one ever said that to you. Okay. Less brains than a chicken. I have anybody else heard that one? I've never heard that one. You're not allowed to use that one, though, right? Because that's me. Jocelyn. If so, it's not, yeah, it doesn't cut the mustard. It doesn't cut the mustard. Yes. Stay ready so you know, okay, that's good. Stay ready so you never have to get ready. Yes, ma'am. Yes, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. How many parents use that saying just today? Just today, right? That one's, that one's not going anywhere, I'm pretty sure. Say, if you know what? I still You don't believe that fat meat is greasy. All right, that's going to be like the one of the forest for the trees about 10 years from now. I'm going to be like, oh, that's what Alvin meant. Yeah. Make your bed hard. You have to lay on it. Oh, come on. You guys are good. You guys are good. Alice? Yes, if all of your friends are going to jump off a bridge, would you jump? I just started answering that one, yes, right? Just to irritate my parents. Yes, ma'am. Something in the milk ain't clean. Okay. That is awesome. Oh, that is so good. That's the best. Oh, I'm glad we record this service because I'm going to have to go back and listen to those. My goal will be to work one of those sayings into each sermon in the series. How about that? Something in the milk ain't clean. How, how about this saying? Houston, we have a problem. Anybody know that one? Right? We know from, from, from the film Apollo 13 how that was popularized and how now, how now that has become a, a saying that is common in society when something has gone wrong. Houston, we have a problem. That saying describes the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Right When you read Genesis 1 all the way to chapter, through chapter 11, I, I get this picture that, that heaven is saying, in so many instances and circumstances, Houston, we have a problem. We're launching a new series tonight called The Story that's tracking with our small group that we're doing on Wednesday. And to try to help set that series up, let me share this thought with you. Each of us shares the same deepest desire. We've been saying this statement all year. And that deep desire is to know God and to be known by him. This series is about reminding us all that the more time we spend in the story, right, the story of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, the more time we spend in the story, the more we come to know God and the more we feel known by him. God calls us into these experiences, not just for learning, although knowledge is important, but for relationship, that he meets us in those places. There's going to be a slide that's going to pop up on the screen that just kind of lays out where we're going to be going in this, this series. I'm putting it up there for you because if for some reason you can't join us on a Wednesday night to be a part of the small group, each week the Wednesday following is going to debrief and talk about it in a deeper level of discussion, what we talked about on the Saturday before, and then also tracking along with the small group study guide that goes with the story. All of these resources are easily acceptable. You can get them online. 
And then the YouTube video that goes with each session is also online. So if you're not able to be with us on a Wednesday, you can still be with us in the experience. Does that make sense of the series? So that slide is out there. Again, you, if you could take a picture of that with your phone or this is gonna be on the YouTube channel uh, the, the following week, but those sessions follow along each week and where we're going to be going. We're doing session one tonight, which really does the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Then we're fast forwarding all the way to session 22, which picks up in the Gospels. And then this series is just going to be a deep dive into the Gospels of Jesus coming onto the scene of humanity. And then through the resurrection, we're going to get Easter a little early this year. Come on. So we trust that you're going to be tracking with us one way or the other. Somebody say a perfect place. Adam and Eve, when God created them. He put them in a perfect place, which we understand to be the Garden of Eden. Now, when I think about the Garden of Eden, these are some, some words that come to mind. Order, harmony, tranquility, life, communion, vibrancy, pleasure, and purpose. Now, if we had time, we could keep going because that list could grow in reflection and thinking about how wonderful the Garden of Eden must have been. It is the first place in the Bible that is geographically named. In fact, it, it's, it's actually the garden that is east of Eden. And, and, and Eden in Hebrew means pleasure. We, we know God wanted this human experience, and I would say that it still is, to be enjoyable for us. And in that garden, he put a lot of things but two things that he put there were two trees of the many trees that were present. One was the, the tree of life, and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says to them, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one, which we all know immediately that creates in us curiosity, does it not? There's something inside of us that wants the thing that we're told that we cannot have. It's part of human nature. And the tree of life was the source of eternal life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what I would call as, as part of God's plan for the comparative experience, which we're not going to go into tonight for the sake of time, but I'm going to dig deep into that on Wednesday as part of our small group. That, that, that If we're not careful, we can view the stories as if God made a mistake, that he should not have put something there that didn't belong. But I would argue that it did for where God was building and leading this story to. If we're not careful, we'll view the story of Genesis in the Garden of Eden as if something went wrong. But if you believe in the sovereignty of God like I do, we know that everything is always moving in accordance with God's plan. So the serpent comes and tempts Adam and Eve to eat from the fruit of the forbidden tree. They're told not to do it. They're in a perfect place. God could not have done a better job of setting them up to choose the right thing than he did for Adam and Eve. Personally, I'm glad that the tree was there for many reasons, but one of them was it is a reminder to us that God is inviting us into a relationship that necessitates choice. God doesn't want to manipulate us. He doesn't want to control us. 
He doesn't want to remove every opportunity for us to choose something different because he wants us to choose him. Because part of that is what makes love true. Love that Vanessa gave a shout out to these two couples that were recently married. I think Carrie Shannon is in here somewhere. She's going to be married next week. Come on. You guys are lame clappers tonight. Thank you. Thank you. They all chose each other. You, you with me? Part of what makes that love true is, is, is not that they were forced into those relationships, but they chose those relationships. And then Adam and Eve, in that moment of weakness, they, they chose to disobey God and sin entered the world for the very first time. And I think someone in heaven uttered a phrase. It was probably not this phrase, you with me? But, but it is this phrase in sentiment that Houston, we have a problem. So, something has gone wrong in creation. Something has gone awry. Then we know as we continue to read the story, there's banishment. There are curses that are meted out against Adam and Eve and the serpent himself. But this is my question for you tonight. Have you ever thought, maybe like I have, that God was a little too rash in his judgment? Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, God should have given them a second chance? Have you ever read that story and thought to yourself, how hard would it have been for God to just say, hey, let's try again tomorrow? He put them in a perfect place, but would they have done better if he had given them a second chance. Somebody say second chance. As we read in the story, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So we're traveling through time long after Adam and Eve's original sin. It says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Right, All the people. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And then he goes with all the details that he gave to them. And then he says, now you're going to take living creatures with you, both male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God had commanded. Then the Lord said to Noah, listen to what he says. He says, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Seven days from now, we'll send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature that I have made. Second chances. We see that God gives humankind the first opportunity in the Garden of Eden by putting them in a perfect place, and yet they failed. And so then there's this question that rises inside of us that says, well, maybe if they had, if they had been given a second chance, they could do better. So here we come to the story of Noah, which is the story of second chances, for all of humankind. In fact, the story of Noah is actually a mirror image of what happened in Eden. God is about ready to create a new world. He's about ready to create a new place. 
And he populates it with people whose hearts are true to them. And he fills it once again with animals and creation. It, it's, the, it's the second Eden here on earth. If you're a, a Bible historian, you would know that it rained for 40 days. Water prevailed on the earth for 150 days, which, which means that the, the whole earth was covered by water for 150 days. And then it said that God sends a wind to dry the earth. A wind begins to blow that dries out all that water. And then the ark comes to rest on top of a mountain, which I think we blow past that sometimes, no pun intended, too quickly, that, that the ark came exactly to the perfect place that it needed to be as it was waiting for the rest of the water to come to rest. Just over a year later, they were in the ark for an entire year. They disembarked. The perfect second chance. The temptation that comes from the wrong people were gone. The temptation that comes from cultures and the excesses of certain cultures was gone. The temptation that might come from certain places, all of that was gone and wiped away. They had a clean slate. And then at some point, Noah says, let's grow some grapes. And he plants a vineyard. And then after the harvest of that vineyard, he has another idea called fermentation. And Noah makes the first wine after the flood. And then he drinks that wine. And he drinks some more of that wine. And then he drinks a lot more of that wine. To the point where his children find him passed out in a drunken stupor, naked in his tent. They're like, Fred, are you making that up? I did not know that was in the Bible. It's because you don't read the Bible. But there's all kinds of great stories in there, just like this one. And we're like, what in the world is happening? Noah, they had the opportunity to change things, to make it different, a second chance. And here we see Noah following after the same pattern because Noah struggles with the same human nature that you and I struggle with, which is the inclination for desire that sometimes is ungodly. And then we're told that there's a curse that's given to one of his sons. This is important because Noah being naked in the tent is real, it's history, but it's also imagery for us because when Adam and Eve committed their first sin. We're told in, in, in those early chapters of Genesis that they felt naked. So Noah's physical nakedness is a reminder of our spiritual nakedness when we commit sin. And, and God had already established a way for sin, which we're going to get to, to be dealt with, but his, one of his sons didn't follow that. And so there was a curse that fell on him, just like there was a curse that fell on Adam and Eve. A second chance. Houston, we have a problem. Have you ever thought maybe that just maybe that God could have helped them a little bit better if he had given them a more detailed list of rules? You see, Adam and Eve were born into a perfect place, and that wasn't enough for them. And we say, well, maybe, 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 if he had just given them a second chance. And so God gives us the story of Noah. It is the ultimate story of second chances in all of Scripture. And even in that, we see that humanity was too much to overcome. But maybe, just maybe, we're thinking to ourselves, if someone had just 
given Noah. We understand all the animals were on the ark. We understand that the best family alive was on the ark. We understand that there was provision on the ark for, for food and, and sustenance. And, and, but, but maybe it would have been different if God had given them a book that listed all the things. They were in there for a year. They had some time to read. What, what, if, what if during that year they could have read, these are all the things you're supposed to do. These are all the things you're not supposed to do. And they could have read them over. They could have been the first year-long Bible reading plan. Could have been right there on the ark. And so God gives us the story of Abraham, which is the story of the birthing of a nation of Israel, whose sole purpose at his inception was to give to the world the biggest, largest, most comprehensive list of rules that have ever been amassed for how we're supposed to live in relationship with God. It is so detailed. It is written in such great detail. We know that it is written in such great detail because every year in your Bible reading plan, you skip over those books. Because you're not stuck in an ark with animals for a year. The, the, the minutia of detail that God gives to Israel about the do's and the don'ts, it's for a reason. It's to answer all of these questions that are in our heart. It's to help us to see that God doesn't have a problem with where he puts us. We are the problem. And so wherever we are, we're going to fail. Whether we're in the most perfect place, whether he gives us a second chance or whether he gives us all the rules. Each one of these three stories that we find in these first 11 chapters of the Bible, the Houston, we have a problem chapters of the Bible, is all telling us the same story. It's the same theme. Even here with Abraham, we see this theme of God can create something out of nothing, which is what he did in Genesis, which is what he did with Noah. And then he does it again with Abraham because he says to him, you're going you're gonna to give birth to a nation. He's just one man with his wife, and they don't have any children. And even when they die, they just have one child. But yet the promise of God over them was the nation is going to come from you. And out of that nation is going to give us a picture of what it's like to live under rule, especially the rules of do's and don'ts. Moses finds himself on a mountain as we continue to move through time as this nation has been born and has been delivered out of Egypt and Egypt has heaped upon the nation of Israel, it was probably over a million people that many historians believe would have been the number as they left out of, out of Egypt. And, and it says Egypt heaped upon them the wealth of their nation. And that wealth belonged to Israel because Israel being enslaved had created that wealth. And so it's heaped upon them. So now they have the resources, they have the numbers, they have the culture, but now they just need that list of rules, right? And so Moses finds himself on Mount Sinai and God begins to give him all of these rules. And as he's writing down all of these rules, guess what? There are bad things that are happening down at the camp. Melting down their jewelry, making idols to worship. And here we see the story of mankind playing out again and again and again. 
we have a sin problem regardless of where he puts us, regardless of how many chances he gives us, and regardless of how many rules he teaches us. Let me, let me read that again. We have a sin problem regardless of where he puts us, regardless of how many chances he gives us, regardless of how many rules he teaches us. But there is hope because God has a grace promise for our sin problem. He has a grace promise for our sin problem. Grace is a beautiful word. Grace means undeserved forgiveness. It means unmerited favor. Grace means that the forgiveness that God is willing to give to us, it's not given to us because it belongs to us or because we've earned it or because we deserve it. That's why it's called grace. In fact, we deserve something completely different. Grace is undeserved forgiveness. And all throughout these first 11 chapters of the Bible, the Houston, we have a problem chapters of the Bible where God is teaching us and reminding us that, that even if he puts us in a perfect place, even, even if he gives us a second chance, even if he gives us all the rules, we are, as, as human beings, we are desperate for God's grace. We must have it. And in each one of those stories, God teaches us how grace is afforded to humankind and it comes through substitutionary sacrifice. This is all part of God's plan. All throughout the Old Testament, there is a prophetic story that God is writing that points us to Jesus. You see those first clothes that God made for Adam and Eve came because they killed an animal to produce those clothes and that was God setting into motion the principle of forgiveness through substitutionary sacrifice. We, we so often think about the animals that made it onto the ark, but we forget that there were a whole lot that were not there and that all of those animals perished, which is God saying to us there is forgiveness that comes through substitutionary sacrifice. And then if we're still not convinced as we get to the Mosaic Law, the entire system of worship that God gave that nation was based on a system of sacrifice. All of those books that we push past because of the minutia of the detail were filled with, you've got to kill this kind of animal if you commit that kind of sin, and then you've got to commit over and over again because God is teaching us something about grace. That grace, this, this undeserved forgiveness is possible through the practice of substitutionary sacrifice. One of the great gifts that God gave to us when he created us, as we've already alluded to tonight, is the gift of free will. The gift of free will, there is always the risk of what I call relational drift. See, see God invites us into this incredible relationship with him and as perfect as God is and as imperfect as we are, you would think we would always be drawn back into relationship with him. But human nature has a tug on our heart that's hard to break free from. I brought this rope here tonight as an illustration. We love to boat as a family. We've been boating for as long as our kids have been little. And uh, 
And we remember this, this, this one boating outing where we were on the Chickahominy River, where it's a place that we like to go. Our kids were all elementary school aged, and Claire jumped off the back of the boat. She was early elementary school. She was little. She, everybody has a life jacket on. And she jumps into the water. And as we look up, we realize that in just, in just a, a moment, Claire was about as far from the boat as the back of the sanctuary, right? Because the river has a current. And so, and so then we're like, this isn't good. Right? And so I grab my life jacket and, and, and dive into the water and am able to swim with the current to, to get to her. And then Vanessa's mom jumps in the water without a life jacket, which was not a good decision, which that's another story for another time. Right? And so now we're adrift. And, and then I just know if I can get to Claire, right? Gail's on her own. She's a grown-up. But if I can just get to Claire... Eventually, Vanessa is going to be able to disengage the anchor and is going to be able to come and pick us up, which she did from, from that moment forward. Even now, some, some, I don't know, 15 years later, whenever we anchor up, no matter where we are, if there's just the slightest bit of current, we take this line, this exact line. We tie a flotation device to the end of it, and we let that line out as far as it will go. So, so that if someone were to ever find themselves caught in a current, all they have, they don't have to swim to the boat. They just have to swim to the line. And then they can work themselves back in. Or if need be, that we can work ourselves out to them. Grace is God's line that he has loosed into the world that we can grab a hold of that always leads back to our relationship with him. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But that's why it's called grace. And that grace is made possible through substitutionary sacrifice. All those 11 chapters is pointing to the moment in time where that one day Jesus himself would die for the sins of the world. One final sacrifice. Never have it to die again. That's part of what it means, which we talked about in communion, which we celebrated. Him conquering sin and death. He's the final sacrifice. That grace is now a permanent fixture, come on, in this world given to us. It was always part of God's plan. These aren't going to appear on the screen. You can download these notes if you're a note taker, if you want to study it more. But in Romans 5, especially verse 12 and 18 to 21, talks about how sin came into the world through Adam and, and, and then how Jesus, through one person, healed it all for once. Final sacrifice. John 19 and 23 to 24 talks about this picture of, of, of Jesus' robe not being torn by the Roman soldiers. It's, it's significant. It's, it's an important part of the prophetic imagery that we find in the, in the death of Christ because priests were given a robe in the Old Testament. It was a blue garment they would wear, but it didn't have any seams. It was required by God that it would be made out of one piece of cloth. What, what, all of that is prophetic imagery pointing us to this, this idea of grace, that when Jesus died on the cross, that garment of grace was laid across humanity, covering it completely and fully. He doesn't mete out that grace in small pieces and small portions for each individual infraction. He says to you and to me, if you would just grab hold of the grace that is being afforded to you, there is a way to find yourself back into relationship with me. For too many of us, we have grown up in churches that have taught us this idea 
that God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to create a perfect kind of being, I would argue humbly that's bad teaching and it's bad theology. For some of us, we grew up being, being taught that God was trying to create a, a second heaven, a, a second perfect place outside of the heaven where, where he was, and that Adam and Eve then messed that up, and that everything else throughout the Bible is reactionary. I, I would humbly say that's, that's bad theology, it's bad teaching. God was never trying to create a perfect person, because the only person that's perfect is him. And he wasn't trying to create a perfect place. What God was trying to create was the idea of perfect relationship. He wanted to create perfect relationship with imperfect people that come from imperfect places. And so from the beginning of time until now, until Christ comes back, God puts into this world this idea of grace. No matter how broken we are, no matter how undeserving we are, no matter what circumstance and situations we are in or that we are coming out of, there is a pathway back to relationship with God through grace that is made possible because Jesus died on the cross for you and me 2,000 years ago. You and I are not ever going to be perfect, but there's a perfect relationship that he invites us into. And I will tell you this, there is no greater source of meaning and fulfillment that you will find in this life that rises above the feeling that you have from your relationship with your God being restored. And when you grab a hold of that grace and begin to drift back in your relationship with God, you, like me, we're going to find ourselves where we let go. And we do things we're not supposed to do. But can I just tell you, on the boat, at some point, this rope comes to an end. If you drift far enough, you're on your own until someone can get to you. Can I just tell you that the grace of God can find you wherever you are? It's long enough, no matter what kind of current you found yourself caught up in in this life, grace is long enough to reach you wherever you might be. Stand with me. This series about the story, we hope, is going to inspire you to dip your toe back into the water of Scripture. This, this book, is, it's, it's, it's an abridged version of the Bible, but the content of it is all Scripture. It's, it's actual verses that are taken out of the Bible, and then they've compressed it to, to help you find a sense of connection with the ultimate story, the big story that's in Scripture, which is what we're introducing you to tonight. And we hope that even if you can't be with us, find this resource online and get it, and then you can read along. Even if you're visiting and you're not going to be a part of this journey, then give yourself the gift of this resource. Every week we have what we call our welcome home moment. We're doing this every Every week this year, because we realize that every week there's the possibility that someone's come into this room and this idea about Jesus and forgiveness and grace is, is, is foreign to them. And it could be somebody watching from somewhere around the world that's tuning in because someone invited them or maybe through divine providence they found themselves onto this channel and, and maybe this idea of forgiveness is new for you. We, we've already mentioned it tonight, but you and I share something in common, all of us. As different as we are in this room, we all share at least this one thing in common. Our greatest desire, our greatest hunger is to know God and to be known by Him. It's our deepest desire. It's also our greatest dilemma because we are born into this world separated from Him. 
And then all the choices that we've made that we should not have made, that the Bible calls sin, it keeps us separated from him. Now, the consequences are real and they are eternal because the Bible also teaches us that one day you and I are going to stand before God and have to give an account for our lives. And in God's justice system, whether we think it's fair or not, he says that the smallest sin is worthy of eternal death. But he turned loose in society. Come on. A rope to rescue. A grace to save, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That when he died on that cross 2,000 years ago, the final substitutionary sacrifice that made grace forever, that made grace accessible to all people, no matter who we are or where we've come from, there's an opportunity for us to reach out and take hold of that grace. It's a free gift, but we've got to accept it. We, we call that making a vow of devotion to Jesus Christ here at City Life Church. It's our way of grabbing hold of the grace that he gives to us. So that one day when we stand before God on that fateful final day, we don't have to step into that moment, fear of condemnation. We come with a humble hope and a confidence and an assurance that there's an invitation given to us to enter into eternity with him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible uses many analogies to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, but one of our favorites here at City Life is the idea of family. It says that you're born into the family of God. And when you're born into the family of God, guess what? Something changes in you on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It doesn't mean that all the desires that we shouldn't have go away. We're going to battle those for the rest of our lives. But it tells us that God's Spirit comes and lives inside of us and begins to give us new desires. He changes our heart from the inside out. So as you look back over to the story of your life, if you can't find a moment in time where you've reached for that rope of grace, if you can't find a moment in time, if you're watching, you're part of our online community where you've not made a, a vow of devotion to Christ, then I'm going to invite you to borrow my words in this moment and then just make them your own. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son, that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And so today I reach for grace. I make a vow of devotion to you, Jesus, that I'm going to live for you and follow you all the rest of my days. Change me on the inside. Fill me with your spirit that I might become the person that you created me to be and live the life that you've called me to live. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen. Hey, as we're wrapping up the service here, just a couple of quick reminders. One, if you're in this room with us, we hope that you'll come. Even if you can just stay for a few moments, there's, there's a reception there for, for Madeline and Derek. We hope that you'll come and share in some of those treats with us and then just maybe meet some people that you've not met before. If you're here in this room and you need prayer, there's going to be a couple of us that are down here at the front. And so as you're making your way to the cafe, if you could just make sure that we just keep this place a place of ministry. So just be a little quiet as you pass by. If you're part of our online community, prayer is still available to you. There's a button that you can push on the screen that you are looking at right now that will take you into a private chat room with one of our hosts. And we love to talk to you more about what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. And for everyone else, come on. We'll see you next week. It's going to be good.